innovation has and needs to happen everywhere. And, and one of the key things in roles like mine is not to create the innovation, but to do two things. And one is to create the space for innovation and then serve as this curator and connector, because my belief is the greatest innovation happens in closest proximity to the customer base, to the employee base, not necessarily in the corporate center. That was Johnson & Johnson Head of Global Talent Management, Michael Errett. And in this conversation, Michael and I discuss his background and work at Johnson & Johnson leading the talent management function, how he approaches innovation at scale, and a lot more. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. It's time to let go of the past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency design from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional transactional search models with our flat fee pricing structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Academy is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's HR practitioners and leaders through the AI Learning Lab, peer learning cohort programs, community, and a range of resources to support their growth. You can learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm excited to be joined by Michael Errett. Michael is the head of global talent management for Johnson & Johnson, and I have a lot of questions about what it's like to run global talent management at an organization like Johnson & Johnson. So, uh, Michael, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. Uh, I'd love to have you open with an introduction for the audience. Uh, Lars, uh, thanks so much for having me on Redefining HR. I'm really honored to join you today. And and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a means of introduction. I'm the head of global talent management, as you said, for, for Johnson & Johnson. I started my career in finance. I worked a couple of years in a rotational leadership program and ended up doing a cross-functional rotation in HR, in performance management, and sort of fell in love with this notion of how I might be able to help people and organizations optimize their performance. And over the last uh, 20 years, uh, post that I've kind of bounced back and forth between HR business partner roles and roles in talent, primarily in leadership development, across three different companies, all within all within healthcare. And I've lived and worked in all four regions and studied on leadership quite a bit. So um, that's just a little bit of context and background on me. Yeah, I mean, what was it about leadership specifically that drew you in? You mentioned you've worked in the, in a few different roles, but that was an area that tends to be kind of a common theme throughout your career. If you'll allow me to tell you a quick story, a uh, little bit of a, an origin story for me and my passion for leadership, um, it, it, it kind of dates back to I was 13 years old. I was in an eighth grade pre-algebra class, right, with a teacher named Vit Piscuskis. And I don't remember much about pre-algebra, but I can distinctly remember this moment during his class where he, he stopped his regular flow and he wrote on the chalkboard, and I share chalkboard to maybe date myself a bit because there were chalkboards <laughs> back then, um, and he wrote on the board, essentials to success, communication skills, confidence, and sense of humor. 
And not that I would prescribe that those are the be all end all, you know, elements or essentials for success. But for my, you know, evolving 13 year old brain, this hit me like a bolt of lightning. I thought, wow, like I just have to follow these three things and I'll be successful. That's awesome. And it, it sort of sent me on this fascination and lifelong pursuit of sort of trying to study and understand and ultimately try to practice great leadership. And I'm just I'm just so enamored with the, the, the notion of leadership and how, you know, great leaders can help, um, you know, manage energy for themselves and for their organizations. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. I think uh, when you when you have conversations like this in the podcast, you know, some people fell into the field by happenstance. Uh, some people evolved into the role they're in now. And it's interesting hearing an origin story like yours uh, when, you know, way back as a 13 year old, the seeds were planted that kind of set you on this path. Um, let's talk about Johnson Johnson. I think you know most of the audience is, I imagine, familiar with Johnson Johnson as a company, likely you know users of many of the Johnson Johnson brands, but probably not a good sense of the operations of Johnson and Johnson. And so I'd love to kind of calibrate uh, there, if you will, a bit. Could you give an overview of uh, the the business headcount, global footprint? Uh, operations and things like that, just to help give a little bit more context to the organization. I think most of your listeners probably have, would have some recognition of Johnson and Johnson, and largely probably associate the brand with our consumer health products, so band aids or Listerine or Neutrogena. And uh, Johnson and Johnson is actually the the broadest based and largest healthcare company in the world. And I think you know that story starts more than 135 years ago, um, and. I love the history of big companies and these big kind of um, American franchises and and uh, and icons. And um, you know, I might start with the son of our founder, Robert Wood Johnson uh, II, who in 1943 wrote this brilliant statement, which we still, by and large, in an unchanged way, refer to today, which is called our credo. And back before the company it was a good year plus before the company went public. Robert Wood Johnson made some declarations around the constituencies in which we serve. And that starts with our patients and our consumers and their mothers and fathers, and then our employees and our communities. And you can imagine for a company in the 40s to be talking about ESG and commitment and giving back to the community, it was pretty novel. And then finally, if we do all those three things right, our shareholders. So even before the company went public, there was a very clear delineation of values and purpose. And now 136 or 37 years later, um, you know, as I stated, we're the largest healthcare company in the world. We work across three different sectors. So there's the consumer health sector, there's our medical technology sector and our pharmaceutical sector. The company right now is in the midst of separating out the consumer health business from the other two sectors. So we'll have two standalone companies over the next uh, several months. And we've got about 140,000 plus employees. We operate in 85 plus countries, so virtually everywhere around the world. You know, you, you can look up maybe some of the financials online. I'm not sure if you want to get into that, but I'm, I'm happy to share any more context. We touch over a billion people's lives every day in big and small ways. Um, so as you might tell from the passion in my voice, I love working at this company. I love working in healthcare because of that impact and the ability to help extend and enhance people's lives, you know, in every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the, the you're operating certainly at uh, at a scale um, that is, uh, you know, not not many HR leaders have a chance to operate and, and touch an employee base that large with that um, broad of a global footprint. And so your role 
leading talent management at an organization like that. What does that look like? Like, how is your team structured? What does your team's headcount look like? How are you kind of organized in a way that um, supports the range of lines of business uh, and and uh, and locations where you operate? So, you know, my role and the scope of that role, um, we in global talent management, my function, we serve the enterprise. Yeah. And, and the scope of that starts with acquisition and access strategy and policy. So how do we go about accessing and acquiring the best talent in the world? Um, we have several, several million applicants every year. We fill about 35,000 positions a year. So there's high volumes. It's a big machine we need to run. Uh, the second part of, of my role is enterprise learning and development. So it's, it's really focused on setting um, direction for you know, how, we, uh, how people learn and grow. Um, how do we define good learning? How do we measure it, et cetera? But also the technology behind connecting people to things that they care about, that they can immediately learn and apply. So enterprise learning and development is a second big part of, of that machine. And then I have four centers of excellence across the company. So I have succession management. Um, at the beginning of this year, we just named the eighth CEO in our 136-year company. So from a business continuity or leadership continuity, we're really proud of our track record there. And I get to be part of that process. I lead performance management. I lead our assessment practice. And then I have people analytics. Uh, so I have those four COEs and then those two big parts of our, our talent machine. Yeah, I mean, look, I think each of those COEs could probably be its own podcast conversation um, in terms of the the complexity uh, and scale where you operate. But I want to I want to hone in on an element of one of them, which is kind of upskilling and reskilling. And you know, we're we're kind of in these very dynamic times right now, where the the shelf life of skills is declining. The ability to uh, really embrace kind of uh, agile learning practices is so essential um, to, to maintain and develop and ultimately retain your workforce. Walk me through how you think about that, because especially obviously working on the, the global scale that you are, and it could be the approach, the practice, technology you use, but how, how do you think about kind of upskilling and reskilling and continuous learning in Johnson Johnson? Yeah, what an awesome question, Lars. I mean, I think that's something that we think about and I think about every day. And, and I think we're in the midst of a, a, a significant transformation as a community of HR leaders, which is, you know, moving from um, large scale, scalable programs and programmatic development and growth to high personalization. You know, I, I think that starts with an element you said, which is um, skills are changing so fast and the proficiency and expectations of skills are, are, are changing so fast. One thing that will continue to be important for people to be successful is learning agility and being able to, you know, continuing to learn and grow and acquire new skills. Um, I think this starts to, to, with some regards in partnership with the business of defining what are those hot skills. So it may not be a library of 400 skills, but what are the few skills that are going to be so important in jobs and job families? And then how can we connect people to growth opportunities beyond maybe a traditional training? So it's not about, you know, signing up and you pass a certificate or a proficiency level, but, you know, how do you wrap around a combination, not prescription of development and growth around people, which includes experiential, so the jobs that you're doing, but also the gigs, you know, the projects that you can do in your current job. 
and it, it, it connects to mentorship. You know, it connects to, um, you know, certainly a, a myriad of ways in which people learn, uh, whether it be by video or books or programs or whatever it be. And how do we take this massive amount of content that's now available to us at a relatively or I would say a, a much lower price point than it has ever been, if not free from before, and connect that to the individual level. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of our accomplishments uh, this year is we recently launched our first digital talent marketplace where based on the information that we can garner on people and what they share with us. So based on the job that you're in, we can make some inference around the skills that you have. But you can also sort of share what are the skills that you're interested in, in, in focusing on? What are your aspirations from a career path perspective? And then through artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're starting to connect people and make it really easy for them to access those things I talked about. So personalizing curated learning and mentorships and gigs, and ultimately, as we get into next year, jobs and pathways. So it, we call this personalization at scale because we want to be fair and consistent and provide equitable access to people. But it's navigating things in a far easier, more consumer grade way. Yeah, and how is that a tool that you built in house, or are you using a third party to support that? Yeah, so um, you talked about agile before, Lars. I mean, this is new for us. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago where we would create a learning or leadership development program, and it would take many, many months, if not longer. And you know, I think the speed in which I'm, I mean, we're super proud at J and J the fact that we created from inception to commercialization or or, or access, a, you know, a vaccine, and we did that in a year. No longer is it acceptable to take a year to design a first-line leader program. You know, so we've had to evolve just like the business has to do things more in a more agile and fast manner. And, um, you know, so we've worked with a number of uh, uh, third parties, especially on the technical side, partners. Um, we've licensed some skills libraries that we can use. And we've linked it all up um, so that it's it's that's all seamless to our, our users. They don't know how many partners and technology we're using. It just looks like one big red front door for learning for Johnson and Johnson. But yeah, that's that's all sort of come together in the, as you said, agile way. It's not perfect. You know, we don't have it all figured out, but it's minimally viable product, pilot, test, learn, evolve, launch, continuing to iterate. It's very you know, I think probably consistent in some of the places that you've worked and led in, in your history, right? Um, rather than maybe a large, big company that you might think about. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, uh, you know, for those of you who are listening and not watching, you can't see it, but I'm, I'm smiling as you describe that because I think so much of what you describe is is how I think about the field of modern HR today, right? Like, not that long ago, if you connected the word personalization with scale, People would freak out, right? Is you know, I think that the field of HR came from a place of being somewhat formulaic and playbook driven and iterative. And as you mentioned, rolling out those programs and policies, I mean, that could be 18 months, right, before something is live, and then it's a whole different world by the time it actually hits. And so the need for speed, the need for shipping it, iterating, the need for agile is so much a fundamental part of the new world of work that we're building now. And I'm curious for you, you know, you, you talked a little bit about kind of being more skills-based from a, uh, a learning standpoint, a development standpoint, does that, does that kind of carry over to recruiting at all? And what I mean by that is I think recruiting historically has been very role-based, uh, right? We have a specific role in mind. We have a, a, a job description that is, you know, written very tailored to the hiring manager's specific needs in that area. 
Uh, and, and obviously that model of hiring doesn't necessarily account for what a candidate wants to do, what they're good at, what they enjoy. It's kind of based more of like, here's their inventory of experience from a resume or a LinkedIn profile. And we have the opportunity now to think a lot differently about that. So I'm curious, like, has that impacted at all kind of how you recruit and, and maybe focused maybe more on skills than skills and interests and kind of aptitude than just kind of uh, uh, experience and past work? Yeah, I mean, I think skills for us, you know, are, are an incredible equity opportunity. And, and, and you're right. I mean, we can all sort of envision the job descriptions or requisitions of the past where there would be this element of the description of the job and the years of experiences required and the, you know, the educational requirements and all these these sort of elements. You know, I think skills gave, gives us or has the opportunity to give us a little bit of a common language um, and an expectation that I think um, creates greater equity and greater access right, to talent than maybe it has in the past. So we're not entirely there yet. And I know that there's other companies that may be working towards an entirely skills-based talent economy. Or, and, and we're not quite there. I mean, we, we, we know that skills is important and is increasingly more important, but there are things that are also important as well, like um, you know, behavioral attributes, leadership. There are experiences, especially in very technical jobs, where experiences and academic elements um, will continue to be prerequisites. But I think the transition is around, if we can create this common language of what's really expected for people to do in a job, right? And then bring them into an ecosystem like Johnson & Johnson's where we have an incredible learning and development operation. You know, let's bring in people with some of those, those attributes of learning agility and resilience and persistence and drive and empathy and you know, some of the behavioral stuff, do a baseline assessment of skills Right. And then bring them into Johnson and Johnson and we can grow them. Right. For hopefully a long, long time, uh, given the, the myriad of development opportunities we have. So it, it, it's fundamentally changing, not just how we train and develop people, but, you know, how we hire and access people, how we uh, and, and I think access is a really important point of this is it's it's no longer about, you know, hiring people directly into your P&L, but thinking about the mix of talent that may be available, 40 percent of the U.S. workforce is now contingent labor, right? So how do you sort of create this consistency around what are the skills we need to be able to do these jobs? And then thinking very differently about what the right mix is in terms of how you access that talent. So I, I, I think skills are fundamentally changing recruiting, access, learning, you know, and in many companies, there's companies that are probably far ahead of us. And this could be even compensation and how you pay people. So um, it, it really is a big, it feels like a big, um, transformation that we're in the midst of as a, as a community, an HR community. As an HR practitioner navigating the new world of work, your ability to learn, connect with resources, and build your global peer community is essential to your success. That's why I launched the Amplify Academy. The Amplify Academy was built from the ground up to help HR practitioners and people leaders efficiently and effectively connect with the diverse learning needs and resources for today and tomorrow. There are three components to the Academy. The Learning Lab is an AI learning platform that includes a range of courses, resources, templates, content, and more to support the learning needs around modern HR practices for today and tomorrow. 
this Amplify Academy Slack community is designed to help you build your global network equity and peer set with practitioners around the world who share your vision for progressive HR practices. And the Amplify Academy cohorts are four-week immersive peer learning programs designed to help people leaders build the skills and network they need to succeed as an HR leader in today's environment. Cohort students also learn from world-class people leaders from Katie Burke, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, Brian Power, AJ Thomas, and so many more. Want to supercharge your people team? Be sure to check out the Academy for Teams product, which is designed to give you and your people teams access to over 400 resources, the full community, and more across the Amplify Academy. Learn more at amplifytalent.com slash academy. Now, back to the show. I mean, I think it's such an exciting time because to your point right there, I mean, this is, this is a new world of work that we're building. And, you know, you and your contemporaries are the architects of the new world of work. You're the ones kind of designing what this looks like, how this works. And it's, it's, it's uh, such a big fundamental shift from these industrial era constructs of how, when, and where we work that we've been working under for decades. And now it is something new and exactly where it will end up. I think we, we don't know. Lots of, lots of things have changed. Lots of things will continue to change. Um, but it's exciting because so much of what is being built now is being built now as opposed to just the version of how we did things in a slightly different way five years ago. Um, how about you for yourself? I mean, you talk uh, about learning agility, and I think you have such an interesting role because the complexity of business from a, an HR and people standpoint is significant. Um, but you you layer that with the complexity of business from an, an external standpoint, a geopolitical standpoint, a, a social justice and equity standpoint. There's so many external factors as well that are impacting society and the world while also kind of we're managing that with the people side of our business and all the change. Where do you go to kind of for your own learning and to stay on top of trends both within the field and external trends that may impact the business? Yeah, as I said, you know, I said before, it's an incredible age and time that we're living in given the ability to access information in, in, in easy ways. And, and, you know, I think about different channels to, for information to flow in. So I, you know, I always think that strategy and, and that architecture that you talked about, Lars, has to be fueled. You know, the gas to that engine or the electricity to that engine is going to be these external insights, deep customer market external insights that are pretty regularly fed to you. So, you know, the cool thing is you can you can set this this up in a really systemic way. You can subscribe to podcasts like Redefining HR and, you know, other, other um, you know, I would call them more regular intervals of in-depth um, understanding. I think, you know, even your LinkedIn feed, I think, you know, setting your Google News or your Apple News to the right um, settings, it's, it's almost like, you know, what might have been 20 years ago where you would start your day reading the Wall Street Journal to see what's going on. You know, we can now have four or five different information streams open and we can scan that in minutes. You know, what's interesting, what, what are you going to save for later? And it's just so efficient. Right. But I, I love um, going a little bit deeper in conversations and listening to you and others kind of talk to other. Prof I think there's so much, so much to be learned. There's there's a great, great quote. Um, and I'm going to misrepresent the person. He's a science fiction author um, who said, um, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. And I'll have to, I'll have to 
And I think that's so true. I think if you could get like the listeners of this podcast together in a collective way, there's aspects in which a piece of which everyone's doing that are representative of the future and it's here. And how do we kind of pull it all together? And that's a really exciting puzzle for me. And, um, you know, lots of learning, I think, to be had from, from others. Um, and as a result. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think with the, um, one of the biggest shifts in HR over the last, you know, five plus years was this evolution from, you know, black box siloed works to open source and embracing kind of open practices and open standards, uh, in the field. And in, you're right. I mean, not that long ago, if you wanted to stay on top of a range of external news, you might have different publications that you follow or newspapers you read, et cetera. You know, now you still have that, but you can also follow, you know, individuals who you know are curating the top resources on those specific fields. Like what are they reading? And that they, they become discovery agents for new platforms. Uh, and it's just, I think for, for the curious mind right now who, who is really committed to, learning and staying on top of things, there's, there's never been a better time to, to hold that, you know, stance because there's so much great information, um, that, that can help inform the strategy. And I want to, you know, kind of going back to your work at, at Johnson and Johnson, you know, you obviously led global talent management, um, through the early days of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And obviously something we're still uh, experiencing, albeit in a different place, certainly than we were then. Um, how did that impact your talent strategy? Because obviously you're operating on a global basis. You're operating at scale. You have to account for, you know, regional spikes in terms of uh, numbers and safety, employee safety in certain areas or other areas where you have employees. Um, looking back, were there any kind of uh, tried and true HR people practices that uh, were deeply entrenched you know, prior to the pandemic that, you know, now are, are run in just a completely different way? I think as we look back on this time and even as, as those that are um, in media that are, are, you know, documenting it, you hear, you hear a lot of greats, right? Not all positive, but, but you know, it's sort of the great resignation or the great reimagination or the great reset. And I, I think, you know, the, the way I'd answer that question is in some ways, COVID-19 was the great acceleration. And in terms of how we responded, um, I think it forced us in some respects to, to move things along. I mean, a good example that is on learning and development is how quickly we transformed our content from in-person to digitally accessible. And that's stuff that, I mean, that we were already moving in that direction, but that sort of forced us overnight as people, you know, had um, ebbs and flows of, of productivity and had opportunities to learn and grow over time. Like we need to get to people and that, that sort of accelerated things. I think, I think to the second part of your question, the tried and true measure is a lot of people, myself included, you know, the reason why we all get into HR is because we care about people. We want people to be happy. We want people to have successful careers and be happy at work. And, you know, I, I think this element of empathy has served our, our function, you know, sort of globally well in that there was, there's no playbook for this. You know, no one could have forecast the impact on people's lives and, you know, I, I think how, you know, in particular, people and people leaders have had to work through this shattering of what was a very fragile barrier of work and life, where all of a sudden it just became life, you know, and, and you know, you'd be zooming in, you could see someone's skateboards behind them. And, 
you know, their, their, their home environment? And how do you sort of navigate through what might have been, um, you know, barriers that you wouldn't have crossed or been afraid to cross to, to get into it with people a little bit? And that when you ask them how they're doing, you really mean it. You know, how are you doing today? How's your health? How's your family? Are you, you know, are you safe? You know, so I, I think, you know, so much has changed. I think it's been certainly challenging and devastating for, for many. Um, um, and, you know, I think as with any very difficult, challenging time, there's going to be learnings. There's going to be ways in which you can figure out to get better, how you can get better. And I think, you know, some of that too is how do you maybe not bounce back to the way things were before? Because we've been doing things, sometimes things the same way for a long time. Yeah. I mean, that last point, I think is so important because you, you do start to see some, I think that there's a real, uh, nostalgia for the old way of working. Um, certainly from an executive standpoint, I think there's lots of people that would love to be able to go back in a time machine, uh, to the world of work in 2019. And I think the reality for those of us that are just paying attention, like that world is gone forever, right? We're, we're building a new world and yes, there will be some similarities to the old world, but there'll be lots of new things that didn't exist before. And, and it's, it's made the field of HR, um, an innovative field, right? Where I think historically, uh, dens of innovation is typically not something that people would ascribe to the field of HR, yet that is exactly where the field is going. And I think best in class HR teams have been doing that for years, certainly before the pandemic. And, and now others are starting to catch on. And I'm curious for you, I mean, obviously you have a, a large global population, uh, the remit of your role cuts across the majority of core, and of course strategic areas of HR. How do you think about innovation in an environment like that, particularly when you know you have so many different variables to factor in to what you may or may not do? I'd love to just get an inside window as to how you think about you know innovation in HR at a place like J and J. Yeah, I mean, and I know large based on your background, your expertise in open source, I think this has evolved quite a bit. I mean, I, I think. There, there was an analog previously, which is innovation needs to happen in a secure and almost ring-fenced environment where we're going to set aside resource or resources or thought leaders or partners to focus and we'll figure out an innovative solution versus, you know, this aspect of um, innovation has and needs to happen everywhere. And, and one of the key things in roles like mine is not to create the innovation but to do two things. And one is to create the space for innovation and then serve as this curator and connector because my belief is the greatest innovation happens in closest proximity to the customer base, to the employee base, not necessarily in the corporate center. So how can we figure out that great work that's happening in the Philippines or in Sao Paulo or you know, in Tokyo, wherever it might be, and, 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 and identify that as something that could be really exciting and transformative and connect it through to to make sure that it's being leveraged and worked upon and it's it's kind of how do you snowball an idea versus ring fence something and come out with a solution on the other end um and i you know we've learned a ton just sort of this different mindset of being more agile and doesn't have to be perfect and let's get a solution out there that may be minimally viable and kind of iterate that that because what that ha what happens is it's not we take a year or two to create something and we launch it and then it's almost outdated. It's let's launch it and then invite the world, our community, our employee base to help us make it better. You know, and I, th I just think it's, it's a, it's, it's a very cool 
um, you know, time from innovation. I think, you know, by the way, technology and the ability to, to access the data that we have has been an enormous catalyst of this. You know, so I, I you know, we, we may not have been, even if we wanted to, you know, we might not have been able to do this even five, 10 years ago. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think this, uh, this general mindset shift towards like ship it and iterate uh, as opposed to having something fully baked, that, that's where this magic happens. Because I think often, you know, the, we may design the best programs in the world, but if we're not, if we just kind of build them in a vacuum and then just stick them in front of our employees and say, use this, there's going to be a lot of gaps. They're not going to feel like they're bought in. Uh, there may be certain things that we have obstructed views towards that we couldn't see based on our experience and background and all the things that come with that, that maybe they get their hands on. They're like, well, wait a minute, this, this doesn't work at all. And so when you can, when you can ship it, iterate it, get feedback, you know, quickly kind of cycle through that, you just get such a stronger solution, but you're also able to kind of meet the market in a much more timely manner, um, which is pretty much how our operating model has to be uh, these days. So um, Michael, I really appreciate you walking me through your experience at Johnson and Johnson uh, and and helping the audience get to know more about uh, your scope there. Uh, we we close every episode with a lightning round just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better. Uh, now we always start with music, so I'm checking out wherever you stream music. Uh, who will I learn are your top three artists? Yeah, you know I. I I'm going to sound probably more like an old soul, but I, by far and away, Bob Dylan's my favorite. I've always got some Dylan on. I'm a big Elvis Costello fan. I um, And I love jazz, so I think maybe if I had to round that out, whether it be Miles or Cannibal Adderley or Chet Baker, I mean, I can't get enough. So, But eight out of ten times, if I'm, if I'm listening, it's probably, it's probably Dylan. All right. Uh, we're shifting to TV. Uh, what was your latest binge watch? Jeez, um, I don't know. It, it, not binge like consecutive, but shows I'm, not, I'm watching that I'm not missing. I'm, a, I'm, I'm way into House of the Dragon right now. House of the Dragon has yeah. been, been good. It's fast moving. I feel like I made a mistake. I watched the first three episodes of Dahmer over the past few days, and that's pretty, pretty dark. So I'm almost wishing I hadn't gotten into that. But uh, <laughs> there's such great stuff on TV right now. It's, uh, it's challenging to you know, try to fit it all in. There, there is a lot. I, I haven't started Dauber. I feel like I've read more of like the, you know, the kind of backlash towards, uh, you know, the the programming than seen it myself. But uh, House of Dragons definitely watching, and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, they'll listen to some of the uh, the audience feedback and move away from some of those dark. <laughs> yeah, scenes. that's right. The dark and, uh, imaging there. Yeah, <laughs> the camera work. That's um, right. So I know you uh, you started your career in finance. You transitioned over to HR. You can no longer do either of those things. You know, if you were kind of starting your career now or pivoting, what would you be doing? Well, Lars, I, actually, in secret, I haven't shared this very broadly. My my secret ambition is I want to be the the PA announcer for the New York Yankees or like a, a major league baseball or football team. And it's it's not the play by player color. It's literally the person that announces. You know, like the now batting you know, number two, you know, that kind of stuff. So I announced yeah. for a high school football team. I'm just waiting to be discovered, but that'll be the thing that pulls me out of HR. I, I love uh, sports and I, um, I have a lot of fun with that. I mean, it sounds like you're ready for the call up. <laughs> hey, maybe this podcast I mean, <laughs> will connect me right to the right people and you never know, right? <laughs> you know, I don't know uh, if, what our uh, MLB and NFL executive demographic is <laughs> on the audience side, but you know, you never know. It's always, it's always possible. Um, and Michael, last question for you. Who is one uh, HR leader who you admire and why? Jeez, I know it's going to sound very, um, I don't know, almost 
not thought out. It's like sort of who, who's your hero and you say your mom or dad, but one person um, is very close to home that, that means a lot to me. Her name's Luani Alvarado. So she's going to be the new head of our consumer health business once we formalize this separation, which we announced is going to be called Kenview. And I've worked with Luani for probably 20 years now over across two companies. And, you know, out, outside of being a, an outstanding HR leader, um, I've always been impressed and um, shaped quite a bit on how clearly she's able to prioritize things that are important. And I've been in meetings with her, with the CEO and her kids call and she always picks up and she's sort of always there when you need her and, and always available. And um, I think, you know, keeping the human part of human re resources in place in this world where we're getting so advanced on the science and data and technology piece is really important. So I, I always look up to um, Luani Alvarado and her ability to balance that all. Yeah. Well, Michael, I appreciate uh, you making time to share your work and your career and uh, just some of the projects you're working on at Johnson Johnson. So thank you so much for, uh, for making time for this. Thanks for having me, Lars. Really appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.